You're listening to another episode of Cloud and Clear, SADA's Cloud Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Rocky Giglio. And today uh, with me on the show is Harold Bayoun. Uh, he is the Chief Product Officer of App Omni. And uh, before we get started, I just want to remind everybody to subscribe down below, help us hack the Googles. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Harold, welcome and uh, glad to have you on the show, man. Yeah, thrilled to be here. Thanks, Rocky. So, Harold, I'm looking at your background. You got an extensive background across product and marketing, roles at ServiceNow, Citrix. Uh, you've got expertise across governance and compliance, data loss, encryption, and so much more. Uh, sounds like you've had a great career. And then a couple patents. Do I see a couple patents in, uh, in your profile there? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely worked with uh, some really strong technical teams and have had the opportunity to to dive into some pretty cool stuff. So yeah, I've had a I've had a, a broad coverage area within security. I mean, I think one of the major kind of overarching themes in my career has really been around data containment overall. I mean, I think when you look at the security industry and whether it's attacks or incident response or automation and how to do things faster or reducing the attack surface, the net net of it is it always comes down to the information and the data. And so I've had a lot of opportunities to work on data containment strategies, data leakage prevention, even early days, user behavioral analytics on how people were trying to circumvent systems. And, and that has led to kind of my current role at App Omni, where we are you know, the most comprehensive SaaS security platform uh, to assess the SaaS attack surface and posture for uh, critical SaaS applications that enterprises use. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to get your hands in, into as much as you can as you go through your career. And um, so I love seeing all those different names and, and technologies across your path. What, what do you see as kind of like the biggest challenge right now in the security landscape? Like why App Omni, why now? Why App Omni, why now is, uh, you know, we're really fundamentally seeing a continued shift to SaaS first, right? And in many ways, as you look at organizations and, and probably an un, unknown fact for a lot of people is that the SaaS spend really is three times that of public cloud infrastructure spend. When you look at the overall budget allocations and where people are putting their data and where people are spending their money. And yet the tooling available for companies to address security risks related to SaaS is almost non-existent. It's almost an inverted model when you look at what's available for cloud posture, security management, CWPP, uh, you know, all of the cloud infrastructure monitoring tools that are available um, and provided by the infrastructure providers far exceed anything that's available for SaaS visibility and control. And yet the amount of risk associated with the dollars and the data that's put into SaaS applications actually creates an inverted risk model. And so going back to why app on me, why now, is that there's a massive gap in the market in terms of how people are really looking at controls around SaaS, and yet the adoption only continues to increase. It's exceeded the industry projections year on year for the better part of the past decade. And in many cases, we're operating under a thesis that SaaS is really the operating system of the future for business. And when you look at a lot of cloud challenges, a lot of SaaS challenges, a lot of security-related challenges, whether that be colo, whether that be third-party, the problem isn't really that the threat, the nature of threat and the way actors are operating have changed. It's that the data has moved. I mean, effectively, your cheese has moved to a different location. And so that requires different tooling and different visibility to protect where the data is living. And SaaS is no different in that regard. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. I've done a lot of the uh, end-user computing space. And that's 
kind of a similar thing that I've seen through that, you know, just kind of through that motion is companies look at the tools that the users are using day in and day out and, and they don't want to spend on the other side of either efficiency or security uh, because it just seems like yet another thing. And of course, you know, that multiplies super fast too. So I think that's another challenge you, you begin to face is, you know, if I have 500 users and each one of those costs me $10 a month for something, it doesn't sound like a lot at $10 a month, but then when you start thinking about, you know, multiply that times 500 or times 5,000 or 50,000 or 500,000, right? Suddenly that's a really big number. Um, and so I've seen that as a challenge a lot of times is we look at that cost, but not kind of what you're saying, right? We don't look at the other side of that cost, which is, you know, what is the risk that we're putting ourselves at if, as we continue to deploy these SaaS solutions, user computing solutions, and that's where all of our data gets generated, gets accessed, right, gets shared, and who knows what, um, especially with, you know, with all the cloud access. I, I did an audit for a company once, um, uh, just looking at their network traffic through the firewall. They had 1,400 SaaS applications that they were sending data out to, and we found some proprietary information out on a site that was hosted in China. I mean, it's just stuff goes everywhere, right? So every day you've got data coming and going across organizations, across these SaaS platforms. And yeah, that's that's super important. And I, I love I love the illustration of just kind of that inverted, you know, we're just not, we're not putting the right effort on uh, the SaaS side of things. So that's super interesting. So how, how are customers responding when you bring that up and, you know, kind of what's the reception been as you're talking to customers in the field uh, day to day? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very, you know, it runs the gamut. You know, I think a lot of, I've talked to, I've talked to some CISOs who have said, oh, well, I've got, I've got two-factor, I'm covered. And, and you kind of say, okay, you know, I don't want to contest too much what you're saying, but uh, I would beg to differ. You've got you covered, but your, your APIs to the SaaS provider are wide open and you're leaking half a million records, but um, 2FA is going to protect you there. So the, um, you know, there's a lot of scenarios where I think that there's a lack of awareness, first and foremost. There are, but it does run this the gamut. There's people who, don't think that they have a problem at all and are covered by these other mitigating factors, which again, I, I just absolutely do not believe that that's the case. We found time and time again, um, where organizations are, are leaking significant amounts of data out of the SaaS provider due to largely due to misconfiguration, right? This isn't something where there's something fundamentally flawed with these providers or anything. It's just that as the SaaS providers have matured, there's a million ways to shoot yourself in the foot. And so it's hard to know how to, sh how to not shoot yourself in the foot, especially when SaaS application A is vastly different than SaaS application B, and that's different than SaaS application C, and you're using these to run different operational aspects of your business with different domain experts and different business owners. And so all of a sudden, you know, going back to your multiplicative factor of 500 users doing different things with different endpoints, well, now we've got a heterogeneous control model where there are different controls, there are different terms, and there are different levels of expertise in terms of, again, how not to shoot yourself in the foot. And so it becomes very eye-opening for a lot of customers to say, I had no idea. Like we, you know, going back to two-factor, we had a customer who um, invested, you know, a couple million dollars in a a centralized identity provider with multi-factor stepped up authentication. And when we looked at their critical SaaS environments, uh, MFA, MFA was set as optional. So you could basically bypass that on every single SaaS applications in that organization. So that's 2 million bucks out the window, right? I mean, so those things are, are pretty eye-opening. And then just the, the nature of the ways that people are 
kind of enumerating data schema within these SaaS applications. Uh, again, anybody who's doing customization, there's a, a ton of custom applications built on top of a lot of these critical providers at the pass layer. So if you go into certain retail organizations without disclosing information, the kiosk that you use to access information is built on top of some of these common well-known pass platforms. Um, there are entire, you know, hotel registration scenarios where that's all built on top of the pass layer. And the challenge with a lot of these portals or, you know, lightweight applications that people build out is they're like, oh, I'm exposing my, my customer loyalty number and my first name, last name, and email. It's locked down. There's no other information. But you know what? The entire schema, the entire object schema underneath that API for that application is open to the world for guest access or anonymous access. And we can enumerate the entire customer database via that type of access point. And so those things are very eye-opening. And then the last category of customers are people who have tried to operationalize or build this themselves because they recognize that they have a problem. And there's just no way for them to keep up with the rate of change and the continuous monitoring that's required, as well as the new releases that come out time and time again on a regular basis from these SaaS providers. And so it becomes a problem of, A, do I even have a problem? To B, I think I have a problem. To C, I'm trying to solve that problem. And ultimately, putting in the guardrails and keeping up and keeping pace with the SaaS providers and their overall release cadence. Yeah, just trying to keep up. I mean, they say the average now is something like 400 different SaaS op- uh, applications inside of an organization that are approved, right? So that's that's approved vendors, not the 1,000 plus that are unapproved and, and sharing data, right? Um, the impossibility of yeah, keeping up with that is, is for sure. It's, oh, yeah. it's, in, it's incredible. I mean, we, we worked with a customer. They said, let's look back 90 days and see how many critical config changes there were. There were 150,000 critical configuration changes over that 90-day period. And so there's no human you know, or manual process that's ever going to keep up with that. So, yeah, yeah. The, the impossibility of trying to go back through 100 of those, let alone 150,000, right? And just what was this for? Did we really need it? Is this, you know... Uh, how are we securing this? What are we going to do in response to this? How is it aligned with our policies? And on and on the list goes, right? That's just, it's utterly impossible, which is kind of the importance of of a tool like AppOmni. Um, you know, for your for the customers that are tuning into this and thinking about, you know, okay, we got multi-factor turned on. You mentioned identity providers. So tell us a little bit about the integrations that you guys have built and some of the, the things that you're seeing as, you know, as your customers are adopting AppOmni, what are, what are they seeing? What are the results that, that customers are getting? We break out our results into kind of our, our best practices ratings where we have a set of baseline policies that, you know, range in the hundreds or thousands of control checks that will run for a given SaaS provider. Um, you know, in many ways, I think what we've built out is a common security language across that heter- heterogeneity that I was alluding to. Like, it's almost like you're speaking, you know, French or German and, and you've got to make sense and reduce that down to common security primitives. So I think... Fundamentally, we do that, um, and we do it by doing a comprehensive analysis of critical security controls with different ratings for them, but we also have a curated set of findings that we call insights, which are really built by subject matter experts in the respective um, critical SaaS applications, whether that be a Workday, a ServiceNow, Salesforce, M365, Okta, whatever it may be. Um, and so those are places where we'll find um, incredibly specific, difficult to unwind um, 
access control or posture gaps that people may not be cognizant of. And that could be something that is leaking data records to the anonymous internet. It could be that an API is misconfigured incorrectly. It could be that like in the case of uh, one of the more recent, well, it's not even recent at this point, the GitHub breach would be the stolen Heroku and Travis CIO auth tokens. Like we had a curated insight for that within our product in less than two hours, the Friday before Easter when that thing was announced. I mean, some of the providers themselves didn't respond to that incident for four to six days later. Um, and we had a, a number of customers that were alerted to that. Yeah, I mean, how many of our customers use GitHub? Right. And, and so think about the amount of data coming and going on a day to day basis into something like GitHub and, and the importance of catching that that vulnerability. So, you know, you mentioned uh, you mentioned you guys helped help catch that or you saw that. So talk a little bit more about kind of what happened there with GitHub. Yeah, I mean, in that case, there was obviously this incident where, you know, it was GitHub had actually announced that there were stolen OAuth tokens from a couple of providers. And so we quickly, what we do, one of the things that we also provide visibility in, which is very eye-opening for customers, is really looking at cloud-to-cloud connections into these SaaS platforms. And those are, in many cases, third-party plugins. In many cases, they're writing an OAuth connection. That OAuth connection may be... Um, stale it may be something that was issued you know a couple of years ago or in the case of um, github and with heroku and travis ei those were stolen tokens and so we quickly did an analysis and found that roughly a dozen of our customers had those OAuth tokens in use and so we quickly notified them published this insight within two hours and uh, you know turn and had them actually remediate and remove or kill those connections the irony of this is that come Monday morning, because this was happening the Friday before Easter, which is why I kind of remember the, the date so vividly. It always happened on these weekends or right, be, right before the holidays, right? Um, but so it comes out and uh, the next Monday, IT came back in and said, oh, this connection's broken. Let's re-enable that. And so there was absolutely no knowledge of the fact that this was an ongoing active incident. And it's only from the continuous monitoring looking for those types of changes that we were able to catch that and flag that and then ultimately alert the security teams to say, hey, you probably want to talk to your business counterparts and let them know that this is something that is not in a state where it should be re-enabled at this point in time. And so um, those types of cloud-to-cloud, you know, plug-in type connections are places where we ultimately see attackers trying to and you've seen it probably recently as well. I mean, there's just been a, a slew of um, attacks via these third-party uh, connections that have kind of been announced even in the last couple of months, uh, many of them compromising source code repositories um, or identity-based providers. And, and so being able to be aware of those, being able to determine kind of the, the authorization level, the permission scope associated with that. And, and the challenge with that is a lot of these third-party connections are also often initiated by the end users themselves. Like if I decide tomorrow that I want to write better emails and I want to plug in Grammarly into our enterprise, um, you know, email solution that lives in the cloud, I can do it and I'll accept the EULA and nobody in procurement was ever contacted. Nobody in security ever did any vet of what this application is, but it's plugged in with read, write privileges into the environment. And so all of a sudden I now have a landing spot. To, to try and figure out how I might be able to compromise and move laterally in that SaaS, uh, in that at least SaaS instance on that platform. So those are the kinds of the dangers and we'll, we'll quickly flag those for customers. Yeah, I love that example because 
I'm the king of, you know, let me try this thing to hack my productivity and then I'm going to try this other one over here and, and on and on, you know, up at Sotup, the, the IT team probably hates me because I'm constantly throwing stuff at them and like, hey, I need this authorization. So we actually block all of that stuff without admin approval. Um, and so then I'm the guy that's like, yeah, but make it work because I'm trying to get this done or I want to test this out, right? Um, and so it, there's there's two sides to the security story that we're all super familiar with, right? One is the, no, you can't do that because we don't know the risk. And then the other one's like, hey, we're not going to check it all. So have at it, right? Um, and I think really what we need is something in between, right? So that's this is where kind of App Omni excites me about is there's so much to be done in the space of the EULA, right? I mean, it comes to me as the user, I click yes, because I don't know. The thing says it needs right access. I'm going to give it right access. Like I know enough as, you know, in the security space to say, hey, that's probably not a good thing. And what does it need this for? And, and just look at it. But at the end of the day, I don't have a choice, right? If I want to use this tool, I got to accept the EULA. I've got to accept the permissions and roll with it and, and hope for the best. So having something that's watching that connection and looking for breaches and, and alerting me to, hey, this thing is suddenly pulling all your, you know, your drive files out into, you know, who knows, some third-party service for whatever reason, it is super critical, right? I, I, I need to know that. The company needs to know that they have that security as well and that there isn't, you know, you, you want to strike that balance between productivity and security, right? I don't want to, I don't want to tell Harold every time he comes to me and says, hey, I want to try this tool out. No, you can't do it because Harold might find a tool that really does double his productivity and the productivity of his team. That's, that's impactful for us as an organization. But on the other side of that, I can't just let my data be exposed to the world and hope for the best, right? So how are you guys balancing that? It's a very tricky balance. I mean, you know, I've heard some folks say, I don't want to be known as the CI know, uh, right? I mean, I don't want to be saying known everything. Um, but, you know, and at the same time, you know, we're all the, the kings and queens of our own little castle here. And, and so, I mean, I'm sure, you know, at least if I'm not to date myself, but I mean, I remember back on the Windows endpoints, I mean, everybody was admin, right? I mean, you were, you had at least local admin privileges on that, on that endpoint. And quickly people realize, oh, that's a really bad thing. And there's all kinds of, you know, stepped up, uh, stepped up attack methods to circumvent controls. And so you started limiting the, the privilege in the admin scope. You started implementing run as, and then if you kind of take that analogy further to the SaaS world, it's like, well, SaaS does unlock a lot of productivity and there's a lot of applications that will unlock that productivity. But again, you know, now we see, well, it's easy to, uh, to enable users as admin, as admin for everything. And so how many users are admin across these SaaS applications when they don't need to be and they're overprivileged? And likewise, going back to the, the original point around installing these additional applications, like, what is the scope and what is the permission? And so it is a balance. It's not a, like, it's not a CI no carte blanche type approach, but you do need to balance it out. And that brings me to the other kind of point here, which is, you know, around some of the other trends that we're seeing is really engaging with the business, right? And, and really figuring out what the appropriate operationalization uh, approach is for putting the appropriate security guardrails conveying the understanding of what the risks are and then coming to an agreeable, rational, you know, balance that's going to serve both the business and secure the data, right? How are you helping customers with that? Because that, that is absolutely what we need to be thinking about is relative to the spend. I mean, it's 2023. There's kind of this, uh, you know, probably gets talked about in every episode of every show, but there's the macroeconomic situation that we're in. And everybody's thinking, you know, hey, what, where do I spend money? What, why should I spend money, that, you know, on this new technology or this new security tool? Um, so there is a, there's a real need to quantify that 
which I think is kind of where you started right there, the inverse pyramid of, of where we're spending. But then how do we align, you know, with the business there and, and it kind of how does App Omni help highlight uh, the challenges that or the risks is really the better word, right? What are the risks to a business as you guys are coming in? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question and a great point. I, I think that that is, I mean, you know, I think if I if I look over my career in security, that's always been like such a friction point with the business, right? And how to engage with the business and what is the appropriate level. Uh, I think that that's matured a lot over the last few years. One, uh, you know, there's a couple places where we see success uh, specifically. One is we, in many cases, engage with a center of excellence or the business application owners and their teams. In some cases, those folks are very resistant, like, look, trust us, we got everything locked down. You don't need to come in here. You don't need to look at anything. Uh, in other cases, you know, when we do run PSEs, it's very eye-opening as well for the center of excellence folks, and they find incredible usefulness in the tool, and then it becomes very much a joint project between security and the business to kind of, again, drive towards that common operating model. So that's one place where we see a lot of success. I mean, I think everybody has the best interests of the business in mind and best interests of the customer in mind. It's just that everybody's strapped for time. And so it's really, what does the rollout entail? How do you kind of um, create these milestones or phases for how you actually want to roll this out um, so that you can achieve some wins um, and demonstrate again that there's mitigation to the business and it improves the operating model. The, the other place where we see a lot of success, especially in the down economy, is um, really tighter integration into CICD pipelines and um, push out and development of applications on top of the pass layer. And so we've got uh, customers that in some cases are claiming a 400% increase on the release cycles because we're eliminating a lot of the manual security reviews or the architecture reviews by establishing these guardrails. And they really use App Omni as a stage gate for validating the dev environment and versus the you know UAT environment versus pre-prod and prod. And if the checks fail, just like any types of any type of Jenkins or CICD check-in for code, then the code doesn't get promoted. And so this is classic when you're promoting code in, in staged environments because the dev team typically runs with everything turned off and in production, you run with all the security controls turned on. So what happens when you hit production and you needed to deploy this for the business? It didn't work. Well, let's turn off those security controls so that my code works, right? And that's kind of the backwards shift right model versus the shift left model that I think everybody's trying to get to. And so uh, we really help organizations that are trying to establish us as a shared service and what they're finding is faster release times, less back and forth, less round trips with the developers, and just kind of a, a cleaner path forward to releasing code in that model. And that ultimately accelerates the business, which generates an ROI in this down economy and further secures the business. So that's kind of a win-win, a right? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a win-win. And that's, you know, that's a key theme, I think, this year that I'm hearing from customers as well is just that shift left, right? We've we talk about shift left a lot um, from a security perspective, right? Getting getting the security controls into the code earlier, do more via policy and, and infrastructure's code. Those, you know, I'm saying that like it's a like it's a bad thing. It's you know, it's a, a thing we all have to be thinking about. We need to be focused on and continue to drive. But it is a challenge, right? It's also not a hey, turn this thing on and, and go. So um, it's it's hugely impactful to be able to insert something that's going to make that faster. Um, that's going to allow us to uh, integrate across 
all of the data sets that we're deploying and pulling into our application code. Um, to tell me a little bit more about that because uh, I was only barely aware that you guys were in that space. So, you know, I'm thinking about competitors in that space that are, you know, I'm thinking Sneak that's doing like the container stuff and um, there's a whole bunch of other players out in that space. You know, where do you see kind of the distinction for App Omni uh, versus the marketplace there already? So, I mean, I think uh, I do want to clarify, like we're not explicitly playing in those spaces. We're kind of an integration hook where what we'll do is we'll analyze the environments and do a comparison like for like, right? I mean, this is to classic configuration drift. So we might integrate uh, alongside something like a sneak or integrate alongside, um, you know, we've got customers that are uh, including us in a stage gate in conjunction with Veracode and, um, you know, in, in conjunction with like a Veracode scan result on code. So they'll do the code level check, uh, they'll do the that, that analysis, then they'll do the environmental checks. They might have some custom scanners that they're also doing. And so we basically become part of that overall release pipeline. And if any of those fail at a certain threshold, then the code doesn't promote and an alert is triggered. But it, it, it incredibly, it, it vastly reduces the amount of manual workload once you set those guardrails up, right? And, and so that's going to give security the opportunity to redeploy those resources to other projects. Uh, it's going to free up their time. It's going to give them the ability to, you know, look at other uh, potential risks or gaps in the security model for the business. And, and ultimately, I mean, even from an operational perspective, I mean, we've got customers that are exclusively using us in a programmatic fashion, you know, kind of as that shared service where, it is all API driven. There's no hands-on keyboard. Nobody's even allowed to log into the solution. Although we have, you know, fantastic console for people to operate from, but people want to more automatically provision these policies and guardrails and, and have them deployed exclusively via API and scripting. And again, that's going to also have a return on the security team itself in terms of, you know, what is your bandwidth? What can you do for other projects? How many of these, uh, you know, how many business units can you support at a given ratio? So these are all things that I'm sure security leaderships and businesses are going to be looking at from a, a ratio and metrics uh, standpoint going forward in 2023. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's one of the key things there too. Is uh, one of the challenges why left, you know, that shift left conversation is still out there. Is it just takes time, right? It's hard to do. It's not. Uh, it's not. It's just an easy turn this on and go kind of kind of thing. And so. Now we need tooling to do that. We we don't have enough people. I mean, security is the only industry I think that has like, you know, 100% higher rates, right? There's there's no open people sitting out there going, yeah, let me look for a job, right? Um, and so that does present a challenge as, as we continue to try to integrate security into more parts of the process, the deployment processes, the updates, you know, the software catalogs, the user data, I mean, all the things we've been talking about. It puts a real burden on the security team that they can't necessarily handle. Um, and that's where we've seen, you know, interest in things like managed services uh, in our, on our side from our customers and just helping write that code. And, you know, we have a whole uh, GitOps team mm -hmm. that we can bolt onto a customer's environment and help them do those things. And then from, you know, App Omni, you know, you guys coming in alongside of uh, the service providers like us and being able to help really make that transition is, is key. Uh, there's this ideal of, and you mentioned it, Nobody logs in, right? That everything gets deployed via a process so that we can put these gates in place. And I think I see a lot of customers struggling with that um, and struggling to get to that point. What What are you seeing as some of the key things to help be successful with that? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is really um, 
putting, uh, obviously setting up some milestones and what success looks like for that customer, and then really looking at their operational model and how you can establish, again, some of these quick wins in a, in a phase one. Part of it is obviously base level assessment and visibility. Then the next step from that is, is probably refinement and tuning of the policies or establishing the custom policies, which is where you know, a service provider such as yourselves can also help with a lot of the expertise around kind of cloud and SaaS and making recommendations around that policy configuration and tuning. You know, what is the operational model to engage with the business? And then as we go lights out, I mean, I guess if you want to call it lights out, I know that might be an, an overall use term or a more operator, more automated fashion, helping construct those scripts once we agree on kind of what those policy value settings are, what the process is to modify or update those configuration settings and then helping customers with, you know, establishing kind of almost uh, what I would, you know, I think what we would call almost uh, security policy and implementation by code. Right. And, and so in that sense, you are operating in kind of this automated deployment model, but uh, you know, in conjunction with the service provider and the customer agreeing on kind of what those values and settings are, and then uh, helping them kind of get deployed into what is the scripting operation um, look like? And obviously having knowledge of our API uh, set is going to help the service provider have a, uh, a, a, an extreme leg up in terms of knowledge and accelerating the customer to get deployed in that manner. And so that's definitely an area where we see uh, a distinct need. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's the, uh, what's it, what's the illustration? The man, the dog in the factory, right? You know, the man's there to make sure everything's <laughs> running. The dog's there to make sure the man doesn't touch anything, you know? Um, but that, that there's a there's a real <laughs> but there's a reality to that 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 is necessary right in order to be secure in an environment where 150,000 configuration changes will happen in an average environment or or something along those lines I think you mentioned earlier um, nobody can keep up with that right and so we do need that machine we need to leverage things like AI and ML to identify patterns that are are particularly bad and. Uh, bring those forward so that we can respond to them. But then along with that is is the need also to automate everything that's going on and make sure that uh, when we deploy something, it goes through these security checks automatically. So we're not, we, we can't go back through 150,000 configuration changes, right? But we can have a policy in place that automates the security from the get-go so that when it goes out, when that configuration change is made, security is built into that process, right? I think that's that's a critical component of, of just really not only leveraging App Omni, but just building a security policy and strategy that that's going to be successful in the long run, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think, again, where, you know, service providers can help is really helping these customers define, you know, to put it more, you know, simply is, is what does good look like, right? We know what good, we know what bad looks like, and we know what good looks like. And so let's spend our time defining what good looks like through policy. And when those 150,000 changes run, evaluate very quickly in an automated fashion, are they good or bad? And then that's how we can really ultimately make sure that we're sticking to what we what we believe is the good baseline and uh, make sure that we're bringing things back to that baseline on a continual basis, right? It's almost kind of uh, um, an, an immutability to the SaaS configuration, making sure that we're constantly resetting to that um, to, to, you know, the ideal, right? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Love, I love the language too, the immutability of it, because that's it's something we're already familiar with, right? In the DevSecOps conversation, everybody's talking about that. Sure. And that is, again, the ideal of, of how we ought to operate. Um, and so kind of thinking and bringing that same mindset into the SaaS world, I think is super critical um, because it's, it gives us a consistent operating model, right? We're not, 
we're not trying to change what we yeah. do in SaaS for, for versus what we're doing in infrastructure and so on, right? Um, so I, I love that. And it, it's very relevant to the threat vector for SaaS too, right? I mean, if you look at the way data is taken out of SaaS, it's not an extended kill chain event with lateral movement. It's a smash and grab operation. And so if you're not operating at baseline with this immutable approach of what good looks like, then you're open to that smash and grab operation and it's done. There, there isn't really the horse is out of the barn when the horse is out of the yeah, barn. The day is gone. Really it's too late. <laughs> running out in the field and chasing after it and trying to bring yeah. it in. Right? It's, uh, yeah. it's gone. So. Yeah. Here's your $10 million yeah. bill to get that cleaned up. Right. And that's not, that's yeah, never really. fun. So, <laughs> yeah. So. Well, good, Harold. It's been great to have you on the show. Um, I know you guys are also working with Sada as a as an ISV Alliance partner, so I'd be remiss not to bring that up and just say thanks for thanks for working with us. Um, you know, any oh, thank you for working with us. You know, very much appreciated. Yeah, it's been great, and um, I hope to have uh, have you on the show again here in the future, and and obviously this year with our partnership in place, and we're kind of off to the races here. Uh, excited to see how customers uh, adopt App Omni and. Um, of course, if there's ever any questions on this, you know, they hit them up on your website. What's your what's your website address? We can stick that in the show notes as well. Oh yeah, it's uh, appomni.com. A p p o m n i dot com. So yeah, very cool. Come to, come give us a visit. So yeah, check yeah. it out, and uh, obviously hit your Sada rep up as well as they're part of our partner program, and we'd love to work together with you. So. Harold, so this has been a great conversation. Obviously, these trends are, are continuing to take shape in front of us in 2023 with all the things going on. Um, great to have you on the Cloud and Clear uh, podcast and uh, for all of those that tuned in. Uh, hopefully, this is insightful as, as we start thinking about securing our SaaS applications, which we know we all have. You know, Again, that, I think it's back to where we started, Harold, right? Everybody, everybody's like, yeah, we'll get to that later. It's, we don't need to do that. It's, you know, I've got MFA turned on. Um, uh, we we can't ignore this area, especially especially now uh, with the number of breaches we've seen, um, with all the changes in the way that, that the speed at which we're making changes as well. Um, so yeah, love the conversation. Um, the challenge is real. The need is real. Um, so uh, anyone listening, check out App Omni and uh, reach out to your SADA rep for more information. Thanks all, and uh, don't forget to subscribe and uh, like the show. Thanks, Harold. Thanks, Rocky. Take care. Likewise. Okay. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.